Some people leave behind a legacy. These are the kinds of people whose lives change the course of human history. People write books about them. Great buildings, parks, and churches are named after them. Saul, of course, is one example because his impact on world history and culture are immeasurable. But before we hear more about Saul, Luke tells us about Peter's ministry to two very unremarkable people. They never did anything that even remotely approaches the deeds of people like Peter, Stephen, Philip, or Saul. And yet, God reveals his glory through these two people in no less an astonishing way. So this morning, what I want to do with you is, you notice that there are three main characters in this passage, Peter, Aeneas, and Tabitha. And I want to look with you, focusing our attention on these three characters in turn. And the first thing, the first person that we focus on is Peter the Apostle. Peter the Apostle. And now we read here that now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now you remember when persecutions uh, broke out against the Christians, the apostles stayed in Jerusalem while many, if not most, Christians uh, left Jerusalem. But as we saw, uh, following Saul's conversion, we read in verse 31 that church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. And so it appears that Saul was the main instigator of persecution in those days. But when the Lord powerfully and graciously encountered Saul and saved him from his sins, and when he was himself converted and became a Christian, his conversion led to a time of peace and growth for the church. And that meant that Peter was then able to leave Jerusalem to strengthen the believers in other regions. And so Peter came to Lydda. Uh, that city is now called Lod, as it was also called during the Old Testament times. And if you have Google Map or Apple Map, what have you, uh, you can actually type in Lod and it will take you right there. Uh, this is a city that was about 30 miles northwest of Jerusalem. And in Lydda, uh, Peter ministers to a man named Aeneas. After that, he moves on to Joppa, which is now called Jaffa. Uh, it's by Tel Aviv. Uh, and there, Peter ministers to Tabitha. And afterwards, Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. And that actually provides us with an important link to what comes next in Acts chapter 10. Because in Acts chapter 10, 
a Gentile named Cornelius sends for Peter and finds him in Joppite in the house of Simon the Tanner. And what follows is Peter's ministry to Cornelius, which results in a gospel proclamation to the Gentiles in earnest. Now, that's really important because uh, for those of us that are Christians who also live in 21st century in Southern California, and as Christians who have been well instructed in the gospel, there are some things that we hold dear and precious. There are some things that we even take for granted. We know as Christians that are well instructed in the gospel that a person has no advantage or disadvantage before God because of race or ethnicity. Uh, Whatever our skin color, whatever our cultural background, whatever language we speak, we are all fallen in Adam. And in Adam's transgressions, we all died. We all bear the guilt of Adam's sins. And no matter what your race or ethnicity, no matter what your cultural background, we are dead in Adam, and our only hope is Jesus Christ. And in this matter, our cultural background, race, ethnicity, gives us neither advantage nor disadvantage because we are all fallen in Adam and saved in Christ. But this was not always understood. You see, for the first century Jewish people, there was no greater heresy than that Gentiles have the same access to God as Abraham's descendants. You see, that was their greatest heresy. And of course, soon the focus in the book of Acts will shift from Peter to Saul's ministry to the Gentiles. And this is the kind of sea change, the the, uh, shift in the paradigm, in the mindset that was so significant, so unexpected that Saul will face violent and stiff opposition from the Jewish people. And in view of that, Before the focus shifts to Saul, what we see here is that Peter comes to Aeneas and Tabitha, and in the manner of his coming, his ministry, and the the effects of his ministry make it very clear that Peter comes to them in the power of Christ as though Christ himself came to these people with and through Peter. And then when Peter, that Peter, who administers God's grace in the name of Christ, in the power of his spirit, when that Peter in Acts chapter 10 begins his ministry to the Gentile Cornelius, that places an important seal of legitimacy to Saul's ministry to the Gentiles. And with Saul's background, history as a persecutor of the church who had turned his back to the Jewish people as he was often accused of doing. This was the kind of sea change that Saul could not have accomplished himself. So what God is doing here, and this is how this passage is linking us to 
the next passage. Peter comes to Aeneas and Tabitha in the name and in the power of Christ. And when he, that Peter, begins his ministry to the Gentiles, it, it legitimatizes, it gives uh, the, the divine sanction to Saul's ministry to come. And so that's Peter's role here. Moving on to Aeneas. And the thing to note about Aeneas is that he is a saint. Aeneas the saint. So we read here that Peter came to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, for many people today, when they hear the word saint, they often think of a very special, extraordinary kind of a believer who has accomplished something great for God. You know, these are not your garden variety average kinds of believers, but there's something special about them. Maybe there's an extra measure of holiness about them. But actually, if you read here, the word saints here describes not some cream of the crop special types of Christians, but the word saints describes all Christians. You see, it's translating the Greek adjective hagios, which means the holy ones. Now, of course, when we hear about holiness, we often think about uh, moral purity, the, the, how a person has stayed free from the stains of sin. Now, that is certainly one meaning of holiness, uh, having stayed away or having been free from sin's defiling influence. But actually, in the Bible, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the main sense and the most important sense of being holy is not so much a statement about moral quality, but it actually describes being set apart by God and for God. And so, the most important quality of saints is not that they have achieved some kind of hyper-spirituality, that they are the cream of the crop, they're the, the extraordinary special kinds of believers. But the most important quality of saints is that God has claimed them as his treasured people. That's what saints means here. So Peter comes to the saints who lived at Lydda, and among the saints was a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now, there is no record that Aeneas changed the course of human history. And there is no record that he became paralyzed because he suffered some devastating injury while boldly standing up for Christ. He was just an ordinary believer, living with a terrible pain and providence, struggling, I would imagine, struggling to relate his Christian faith to his terrible situation, no doubt praying for contentment and grace when both contentment and grace fell so far away from him at times just an ordinary, struggling believer. And it makes you wonder, doesn't it, why, 
Why are some people blessed with a relatively, comparatively comfortable, trouble-free life while others are painfully afflicted? Why is it that some people live a healthy life until the very last day of their lives while others are stricken with illness, disease, and pain all their lives? There is mystery in God's providence. Because, you see, God does not follow our script. We are not the directors, and God is the actor that we can tell him what to do. Stop, let's try this again. No, 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 not like that. But let me tell you how to act. God doesn't follow our script. And at least for now, God doesn't explain himself to us. And what that means is that we need to learn to be quiet. And we need to learn not to draw quick conclusions, especially when suffering is involved. Because God's providence is often shrouded in mystery. But what is clear in this passage is God's care for the ordinary believer. And so Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And the way that Luke uh, presents Peter's ministry to Aeneas intentionally reflects Jesus healing the paralytic man in Mark chapter 2. You remember there, uh, some people brought a paralyzed man to Jesus, and Jesus takes a look at him, and he says to him, Son, your sins are forgiven. And the religious leaders who are seated around Jesus, they are questioning Jesus. How dare this man? Why does this man speak like that? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus understands these silent, hidden complaints in their hearts, and Jesus says, but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. And Jesus says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And do you see how Peter's ministry to Aeneas is really following the pattern rather closely? It's almost as though Luke is telling us that in Peter's ministry, Jesus Christ himself came to Aeneas with full of grace, with power. Jesus came with mercy and grace to this ordinary saint. And I think that's so important for us to know. Jesus has different callings for different believers. But he has the same love for all believers. Whether you are preaching before kings or struggling for contentment in your bed, you know, for every Christian, that is our spiritual service that we offer up to God. Because whether you are doing something from human perspective is grand and amazing and exciting, or whether your spiritual struggle is uh, done and you, you fight your spiritual battles in, 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 in your privacy, away from prying eyes, no one knows 
but in your heart you are struggling to honor God in your difficult circumstances. Contentment and grace seem so far away, and yet because you know and love the Lord, you fight, you struggle. That is your spiritual service. And Jesus, he loves these ordinary saints no less than he loves Peter, Saul, Stephen, and Philip. And he came to Aeneas in Peter's ministry. Aeneas, the saint. Thirdly, we see Tabitha, the disciple. Peter, we read here, Peter comes next to a disciple named Tabitha. I find it really interesting because uh, it does not appear to be the case that the first century Jewish rabbis had female disciples. Uh, The culture and the mindset of those days was that that women are unworthy in so many different ways and not considered as important or considered as the right subject uh, of, of instruction. So I do not find it to be the case that the first century Jewish rabbis had female disciples. And so what's interesting is that all the way back in Acts chapter 6, we read that the believers are all called disciples. And just like the word saints, it describes every Christian and highlights their fundamental identity as those that are treasured by God and set apart by God. So the word disciples means that every believer, male and female, have a, have a warm and gracious welcome in the fullest way possible into the kingdom of God. And both male and female become the disciples of Christ to learn from Jesus. God's word is not kept from them, but Whether you are old or young, male or female, educated or not, you are all welcomed, invited into God's kingdom to have full access to his word. And Tabitha was a disciple. Tabitha learned from Jesus, and she used her sewing skills for good works and acts of charity. But Tabitha had died, And Peter was summoned. And once again, as Peter comes to Tabitha, we see the Lord Jesus comes with power through Peter. And Luke presents Peter's ministry to Tabitha in exactly the same terms as Jesus' healing of Jairus' daughter in Mark chapter 5. You remember how Jairus, the ruler, sent to Jesus saying his daughter was about to die. And on his way, he receives word that she had indeed died. But nevertheless, Jesus comes and he puts all the mourners outside and says to the little girl, Talitha kumi, little girl, I say to you, arise. And Peter Arriving where Tabitha was laid, he also put all the mourners outside and 
If he spoke in Aramaic, and most likely he did, he would have said, Tabitha Kumi. I think that's wonderful. It's just one letter different from Talitha Kumi to Tabitha Kumi. Tabitha, arise. And of course, Luke has a point here. The point that he is making is that Peter's ministry to Tabitha is done in the full presence, power, the grace, and the authority of the Lord Jesus as though Jesus was himself present there. You know, we can't help, can we, uh, when we read uh, Acts or even the rest of the New Testament, we can't help but be thrilled by the great things that God did through these singularly gifted people like Peter, like Stephen, like Philip, and Saul. But that does not mean that the church exists just for such people. Because you see, these enormously gifted people who were used in very amazing ways, Peter, Stephen, Philip, Saul, and others, they did what they did. So people like Aeneas and Tabitha might know God's love. Aeneas and Tabitha were ordinary people with quiet faith. Aeneas did not preach to kings, and he didn't get locked up in prison for the sake of Christ. He loved the Lord in his bed. Tabitha loved the Lord with her needlework. And she found joy in doing what she, in her humility, probably thought was a very insignificant thing. But it was not insignificant to the Lord, and it was not insignificant to the many people that Tabitha blessed with her service and with her love. You see, people like Aeneas and Tabitha, they are, they are the people that make up the church. They are the unsung heroes of the church, people who, people who believe, people who persevere, people who love, and people who serve the kingdom with joy. And the church is not just for these amazing people that we read about, that we get excited about. In fact, these great people, these excellent people that we read about, God used them and they did what they did so that ordinary believers like you and I might come to know the amazing and deep love of Christ. Because you see, it's these ordinary believers, people with quiet faith, who find joy in doing this at the things they might consider insignificant, but they do them out of faith and out of love. It's these people that Jesus loves and cherishes. It's these people Jesus says, they are my saints. They are the people that I treasure. They are the people that I have set apart, and they are my disciples. All that is to say is that Aeneas and Tabitha are not filler characters sandwiched in between the more important people and more important events. They are us. Because we believe, we persevere, we serve, and we love. And 
Isn't it true? We are never sure if we are doing enough. And we, we fear that nothing we do matter very much. Well, perish the thought. Because Jesus never looks at you for the ways that you love him and serve him. Jesus never looks on you and says, you are not doing enough. That's not good enough. But he is deeply, deeply pleased with you. You see, Aeneas and Tabitha are God's pledge to us in Christ. Because just as Jesus, in his grace and power, came to Aeneas and made him rise and and restored him and made him whole. And just as the Lord Jesus, with his power and grace, came to Tabitha and restored her and raised her from the dead and made her whole one day, Jesus will command you and me, and his command will be, be whole, be healed, be set right. And on that day, we will be raised in glory, and we will behold the face of him who loves us. There are no ordinary people. but saints and disciples. And Jesus loves you. Amen. Now let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your care and your grace to each and every one of us. And I pray especially, O Lord, these precious saints who always long to serve you but are not sure what to do or how they are doing. I pray that your grace would so fill our hearts that they would find great joy in knowing you and in serving you. And I pray that you would fill our hearts and lives with great expectation of meeting you one day. And they will see in your face, not disappointment, not rebuke, but your face full of love and smile. And they will be made whole. So we look forward to that day and we pray, be with us and keep us until that day. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.